Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're doing well. Today, I want to talk about a topic that is so often discussed in all my online communities that I thought it would be so helpful to just do another episode on this. And that is accommodations. We're going to talk about what those are, but how do we pull back anxiety and OCD accommodations, our participation in our growing our child's anxiety or OCD inadvertently? How do we do that without overwhelming them or without feeling bad? Or where do we start? And that is a really common question when parents start to dive into the resources around childhood anxiety and OCD, and they start to get educated on the parental component of getting hooked into the anxiety or OCD. And so a lot of times parents just pull that back all of a sudden because they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this was bad. Okay, I'm pulling it back. And that overwhelms the child. And sometimes parents put their hands up in the air and they're like, I can't stop it. And I don't know why this is happening, but uh, I don't have the tools to do it. And so they, they kind of keep it status quo. So my hope for this episode is to demystify what it means, help you understand why it's important, and then help you develop just a systematic approach to doing that. So you don't overload and overwhelm yourself and your child or team. Before we jump into this, I want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy, and they are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., which is really lucky. You can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com, and I will leave a link in the show notes as well. Another announcement is my free series, Self-Care for Parents Raising Kids with Anxiety or OCD. I think we can all resonate with that, is coming up in the next few weeks. And so you can sign up for that. It is a free series. I do it twice a year. We talk about self-care, but we talk about it in a very concrete way related to anxiety or OCD. You know, how our mindset is how our physical health is, um, how we approach our child and their accommodations, how it taps us out, how we have a plan, things that you kind of wouldn't think are under the umbrella of self-care. So if you are not one to really care or dive into things about self-care, because you think I don't have time for that, I got to fully focus on my child, Natasha this will actually help your child. When I teach you how to be an anchor in the storm, you are absolutely going to be helping your children or your teen. And it is free. So why not join us? You can sign up for free at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. All right, let's jump into today's topic, balancing act of pulling back anxiety and OCD accommodations. I just want to start with briefly what it is and why it's not helpful. So Anxiety and OCD are a bit different. And so I'm going to have a different conversation about each one as we progress through this. There is a lot of overlap, but there is sometimes things that are very specific to one or the other. And anxiety and OCD are comorbid conditions. They like to hang out together. And so often we're doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that in both categories. And so the conversation will be helpful no matter what. 
So with anxiety, the parental accommodations that are really common are really helping our child avoid really uncomfortable, scary things in general. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to have our child snowboarding off the cliffs of, I don't know, I, should, I shouldn't have even gone there because I don't ski. <laughs> but it doesn't mean our kids have to be doing really daring, scary stuff. It just means, are we, are we cocooning their world? Are we letting them avoid absolutely everything? And I'm talking on a, on a really tiny scale, like they're not able to go to the bathroom on their own. They're not able to do things for themselves within even the family unit. So looking at our role in inadvertently sending that message of, you don't have this because historically you haven't. And so I'm going to just take the reins and make sure that you're okay by cocooning you. And unfortunately, and I say unfortunately, because wouldn't it be great if we could do that and our kids are resilient and they grow up and they're, they're fantastic and their anxiety gets crushed. <laughs> it doesn't really typically work that way. If we're overly cocooned and we're not taught those small little steps of how to be resilient, then we don't ever develop the ability to handle bumps. We're used to a smooth road. And when we hit a bump, when we're in our twenties, we're like, what the heck was that? You know, I've never felt a bump. I don't know how to navigate this because normally my parent is the one that drives over the bumps. And then I take over the steering wheel. Once it's smooth again, we don't want that. And so it's finding this balance of how do we cheerlead and motivate and encourage and believe in our kids in tiny, tiny steps. So that's anxiety. And that's why accommodations on a big scale, long-term are not helpful. It doesn't mean that we don't accommodate our kids' anxiety. It doesn't mean that we don't advocate for them. It doesn't mean that they don't have accommodations in the school environment, but it means that our ultimate goal is to foster resilience. Our ultimate goal is to help our kids move towards difficult, uncomfortable, and scary things one small step at a time, not jump off the cliff, right? So it's a balancing act. Some people do this full throttle and it's not good, right? It's the flip side of not good. So there's always a flip side. You can always go too far to this side and too far to that side. And, uh, and that's kind of why I called this episode balancing act, because when do we push and when do we pull, when do we pull back and when do we push? And it is constantly like a seesaw gauging. Is this the time I push? Is this a time I pull back? And that dance is really never done until our kids probably leave the home and maybe not even after that it's we're always assessing that at any given time because sometimes you might be able to push them or encourage them and then sometimes you'll have to pull back on something that's identical because their mood is different or because they're having a rough day or because they're having a rough year or because so you can't compare moment to moment because just because they could do it Last week doesn't mean necessarily they're in the space to do it today. So that becomes even trickier to say, okay, well, how do I respond to this situation in this moment? So that's anxiety. That is also a lot of what I'm talking about is OCD related too. But OCD is its own unique beast that should get its own unique explanation. So with OCD, we have all that going on as well. Like we might over cocoon our kids and we might know their triggers. And so we might walk on eggshells and we might um, not put them in situations that we know are going to trigger their OCD. But the other part of it with OCD is we are also part of the compulsion. And this aspect is very different than anxiety where we are the metaphorical sink. 
And so when we are the metaphorical sink, we are, com- we are completing the OCD loop. So if your child has moral OCD and they say, ah, oh, I think I cheated on my test. And you say, well, honey, you're not a cheater. What makes you think that? And the child's like, I don't know. I walked past the answers and I think I saw them. And you're like, you know, you're such a good person. I'm sure that it's fine. Don't worry about it. And you feel like, okay, I'm a great parent. I'm knocking it out of the park. Well, unfortunately, if it's moral OCD talking to you, you just reassured OCD, which actually is like kind of washing that fear away metaphorically, and the loop gets bigger. They don't let it go. So that is also some of the differences between anxiety and OCD is you are the sink and they come back to get rewashed. You know, they're not satiated. It becomes a bigger problem. They might leave in that moment and think that's good, but then tomorrow they've got two more things to confess to you. And then the next day, more things. And then at nighttime, they have more things and it's growing. And you're like, what is going on here? Well, you've been the sink. And so disrupting that cycle that actually reinforces the circuitry of the brain to get stuck and to ruminate and to do these compulsions, uh, we don't want to be part of that process. We want to help get it unstuck. The way that we get it unstuck is by not being a component of that compulsion. And that might look like your child saying, oh, can I eat this food? What's that speck there? Is this okay to eat? Or will I throw up today? Or do I look okay? Do I look sick? Or um, so many, so many different questions. But you get my point. It involves you. It might involve you standing there while you watch them wash their hands. That was actually a hard sentence to say because they need a witness that they actually did it or that you need to tell them that they're done because they don't know how to stop. Whatever your involvement is in the compulsion, and this is like a really a literal involvement, not like I allow them to wash their hands or I allow them to miss school or I allow them to hoard their stuff. To me, that's a looser definition of accommodation. And today I'm really just talking about the ones that you are literally a part of. There's a lot of things our kids do that we don't really tackle because it, it is not, it's not involving us. Yes, we can parent it, but we are not physically a component of it. And so that is a bit of a difference. So the first understanding is, okay, what things am I doing that I need to pull back? And you're not going to pull them back overnight. You just want to recognize them and recognize that when my child, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Like when my kids have anxiety, let me think of an example. So when we're ordering, And my son with social anxiety decides that he is too panicky and he can't order. And this is a new thing. He doesn't have selective mutism. It's not that he is shy. It is purely a social anxiety thing. And so when his social anxiety shows up, which sometimes he has no problem. And all of a sudden, some other times he's like, can you order for me? You know, I don't know if you could hear that in my mic. (laughs) You probably could. So I have a choice in that moment. I could say, I could say, okay, and he wants, you know, he wants blah, 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 right? And I could just make it easy for him, not even cheerlead him or coach him. Or I can work on that area and I can say, you know, when we go to the restaurant today, I really want you to try and order your own food. And I might incentivize it. I talk a lot about like, you know, bravery points and things. And I might say you can earn five points if you order your own food and really support him and encourage him and motivate and cheerlead him and have him do that. And he can choose whether he does that or not. And at the end of the day, maybe I do order for him. Um, if I see him really panicking and I realize this is too, too difficult for him in this moment, but I have, I've coached him 
And so maybe next time we're going to try it again, or maybe we'll try something smaller. But if I don't do that, let's say I just order for him nonstop. And I say, well, he's 14. He's got social anxiety. It's so hard for him. You know, why am I going to make him suffer? He's obviously stressed when he has to do it. And so with good intention, I might say, I'm going to just protect him from that discomfort. I'm going to order for him proactively because I don't want to hear him stammer. I don't want him to feel overwhelmed. And so he'll know, I'll, I've always, I've got you. Well, and then he turns 18 and he hopefully goes into a dorm and he's going into college and he can't order his food. He can't change his classes. He can't talk to the professor. He can't do any of these things because I have not helped him build the skills slowly, systematically to be able to handle those situations. And so I have inadvertently set him up for failure. And now he has to stay home from college and he has to have me call the school and he has to have me do everything. And He's not going to launch, <laughs> you know, he's not going to launch successfully because he doesn't have the tools. It doesn't mean that I can't give him the tools at 18, but I'd rather not get into that situation if I could prevent it. I may not be able to, who knows? Nobody knows, right? You might do everything you possibly can and your child still winds up in a situation like that. That is different. But if I know I can pull back systematically, then I'm going to do that. With my child with OCD, I'll give you another example. She has discussed OCD themes. For a long time, we accommodated her by not having her do the dishes because it was too overwhelming for her and it triggered her OCD. So she was able to do the dishes until her disgust OCD themes started to pop up. And so it wasn't behavioral. At first I thought it was, but it wasn't, she was willing to do any other chore. She just couldn't do that. It was disgusting to her. It was overwhelming to her OCD. And so for a while we accommodated and I said, okay, we'll work on that as exposures. We're not going to do that as a chore. And we'll have you do something else. And as she started to progress with her OCD, then we started to pull back that accommodation and she had done discussed exposures and we're ready to tackle the dishes again. And so then it was like, okay, well, we are going to wash the dishes really clean. So anyone who puts a dish in the sink, we need to really scrub it off, you know, and then put it on the left side of the sink. And those are technically dirty. They're gonna have to go in the dishwasher, but you really wouldn't know that they're dirty. (laughs) They were like very clean. That was the baby step. It was like, okay, now you need to participate in the rotation of doing the dishes. However, the the sink is very clean. And even though that was very hard for her, I talked to her about how she's going to grow up and she has a 20-year-old sister who has roommates and they argue about the dishes and they argue about being clean. And so she hears this. So it's very real to her. And I said, one day you're going to be a roommate for somebody and they're not going to care that you have OCD and that it's disgusting for you. They're going to want you to participate in the the roommate chores. And one day you're going to have a partner and they're going to get really annoyed that they always have to do the dishes because you can't do it. So I'm helping future you. I want to slowly, we're not doing it all overnight. And she's like, but I'm only 12. I don't care about that. And I was like, yeah, but you know what? The 18, the 20 year old you does care about it. And so we need to start to slowly build those skills. So helping your child understand why you're doing these things instead of doing it to them without explaining why I love you. And so it's my job to help you learn how to speak to a waiter, or it's my job to help you do a sink full of dishes, even though it's disgusting for you. We eventually moved on where I bought her gloves and the food was like the dishes were mildly not rinsed off. And when I say mild, I mean like there was some coloring to the water in like a bowl, you know, very mild. And yesterday that was too overwhelming for her. Um, it was a huge sink of dishes. And I knew that was going to be a major, major struggle. 
she got through half of it and it literally took her all day and she would like gag and she would walk away and she would get mad at me and then she'd go back can i have lunch can i don't want to can i take a break from this and i said fine Towards the end of the day, I realized, wow, this is very big exposure for her. And it seemed like too much. And so I said, you know, you've been working on this all day and I'm super impressed with you. I think I can do the rest for you, but I'd love for you to end on a positive note. I don't want you to end because you were exhausted and overwhelmed. And so you're like, oh, I can't do it anymore because then we're kind of high-fiving your OCD. And I don't want that because you've done such amazing work all day. And so she said, no, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I don't care. It's okay with me. I, I feel like I want it. It's fine. And I'm like, no, I really want you to get the last laugh. Like I want you to touch the dishes last. I don't want OCD to be the last touch. And so could you go in and just put a couple more dishes in the dishwasher and then we'll call it a day. And she said, well, could I touch like the, the ones that are like the least dirty? And I said, that's fine. And so she did, she went back and she put like two more dishes in and then she was done. And I was like, you did fantastic today. And so Again, it was that balancing act of when to pull back and when to pressure. And I realized she had been working on it really hard and it was a horrible experience and I wanted her to leave it as a win. And so reducing that in the moment was very helpful for her. So that's why I think sometimes we think of accommodation and we think it's very black and white. Like I can't go in there um, and do this for them or I got to pull all this back and it's a blanket kind of approach when really I feel like it's very nuanced. So the other thing is really educating your child on how your accommodations help grow the anxiety or OCD. So in my examples, you've heard me talk to my kids directly saying, I really want you to be able to talk to people in college, or I really want you to be able to be independent as you get older. And so if I'm always doing this for you, I'm robbing you of the opportunity to develop skills to be independent. For my child with the dishes, explaining to her, You've seen your sister and her roommates. You know how it gets in college firsthand. I don't want to set you up for failure. So have a realistic conversation with your kids on why you doing something for them isn't helpful. I love you. And when I answer your OCD and I tell you you're not a bad person, you already know that. Or maybe, you know, you don't realize that you know that, but your OCD is looking to get scratched. And the more you scratch that itch, the bigger it grows. You know, the stronger those neural pathways, the stronger that connection, the bigger the OCD and the more struggles you're going to have. And I don't want to be part of that because I love you and I want you to be able to crush this. And if I'm part of the opposite of crushing it, I'm part of growing it. That's not okay because I love you too much for that. So educate your child on what accommodations you're doing that grow it. And then um, when we get back from the break, I'm going to talk about some concrete systematic ways to take your first steps towards pulling back accommodations kind of in a formal way. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, so we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. 
there's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding your touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized that it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Welcome back. Okay, so before the break, we talked about what are accommodations and why we need to pull back from them and how it's nuanced to really kind of assess in the moment, you know, what accommodations they can do and what they can't do. But in a general way, we're going to be more systematic. And so there is this nuance of, oh my gosh, they're like, they're not okay today. And so maybe I'm not going to really push them, but there is a systematic component to this. So I, I tell parents, um, when I had my private practice, I would have parents do this. And in my online community, I instruct parents to do this. I'll say, make a list of all the accommodations that you do for your child's anxiety or OCD. And take 48 hours to make this list. Don't just write it down. You may not even be aware. There have been, we've had new parents in the AT parenting community. I'm actually recording this quite a few weeks ahead of time. So they're not new anymore, but you know, I'm getting a lot of questions in the uh, member forums on our website in the AT parenting community. And a lot of times they'll say, I'm not doing any, like my child's not doing any compulsions or I'm not doing any accommodations. And they'll tell me like, you know, it's a metaphobia, the fear of throw up or something like that. And I'll say, oh, well, you know, does your child ask you if they're going to be okay? Does your child ask you if they're sick? Does your child ask you if they look sick? Does your child ask you if their food looks okay? You know, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, those are actually all compulsions. Those are all things that are part of you participating at things that we wouldn't think about. So take your time and do it with it, do it for 48 hours, you know, have a little list or a digital list on your phone. And every time you are doing something that grows the anxiety or OCD, write it down and then you'll have your list. And, and then you want to present that list to your child and just say, you know, these are all the things that I'm doing that grow your anxiety or OCD. And I actually have kids make their own list of all the compulsions. Um, and if it's only anxiety, all the things that they avoid for their anxiety, things that grow your anxiety or OCD. So the compulsions or the avoidance. 
having those concrete lists really help you because you know that that's what we want to target on one level, right? That's one component of crushing anxiety or OCD is looking at the behaviors that are continuing to grow it. And then I typically say, okay, we're going to pick one of these from the list that we're going to work on in a more systematic way. And so in a perfect world, I'm going to want my child to participate in that. And I'm going to say, what, um, what accommodation would, would you be okay with me pulling back for start? I'd like, I love you. And whoa, look at this list. I had no idea that I'm doing all these things that actually are growing your anxiety or OCD. And I know your anxiety or OCD is like, don't stop. We love it. It's okay. But deep down, it's not okay. It, you know, I'm learning more and more about anxiety and OCD. And I'm learning that when parents do these things, they are actually making anxiety or OCD stay a lot, stay around a lot longer and you won't get better. And so I have to do my part and you have to do your part. I don't control your part, but I do control my part, but I want you to be part of my part. (laughs) Well, that was crazy, but, and then here's my list. So I want you to look at it and I'd rather you pick one thing that I take off that I don't do anymore. And if you don't pick one, then I'll pick one, but I much prefer it come from you. Right. And so have your child look at the list. And if they pick the smallest, tiniest little thing that you got on the list, that's okay. That's where you start. You say, okay, from now on, I'm not going to do this. So when you're having this upsetting thought or feeling, what would you like my response to be? And it's so great when you're collaborative. Now you, you might have a child who's not going to be collaborative. And so you're not going to have this conversation at all, but your child might say, okay, well, you know, when I say, mom, do you think I'm going to throw up? Then you can say, no, you're not honey. And then you might say, well, actually that's kind of reassurance. And that's not, that's not the best answer. And then maybe hopefully you've done your homework and have dived into my resources and you know, the therapeutic answers. Um, cause I talk a lot about them in the AT parenting community. If you're my membership community, you can always ask me in the forums and I will help you come up with uh, a therapeutic response. Or if you're in my courses at atparentingsurvivalschool.com, if you've taken a course and you want some help, you can always go under a lesson where I talk about it and ask me if you want some one-on-one support in, if you're one of my students, I'm happy to do that at any time. But, um, for, for that question, I might say something like, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. And so I can't predict whether you're going to throw up or not. Uh, but I know that even if you did, you'd be able to handle it. And that's my answer, right? It's getting them to sit with the idea that we don't really control whether you throw up or not but we do know that you can handle it, that you will get through it. And so having a plan with my son, with moral OCD, he would say, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry all the time. Right. And he'd actually say, um, thank you a lot. That was very compulsive. It wasn't, he wasn't being polite. And so we came up with this agreement that if he said, I'm sorry, that I would jokingly say, I'm sorry, not accepted, which actually made me feel, I felt really bad saying it. But I'd say it kind of in a jokey way. He'd say, oh, I'm sorry. And I'd say, I'm sorry, not accepted. You know, you can make your answers like funny. You can do an accent or something. It doesn't have to be serious. Um, and actually that kind of breaks the the seriousness of OCD in general. I mean, I have all sorts of wacky voices that I do that um, can can be funny. And so maybe that's your agreement, but you have an agreement of how you're going to respond. And then you actually do stick with that. And so... You might be flexible with everything else that you're doing because you're not targeting it. You certainly don't want to create new accommodations. Once you become aware of this, you say, I'm not adding to this list up. Oh, it looks like your OCD is wanting me to add to this list. It sounds like a new accommodation. And I'm not going to add to that list because that list is already really big and we're already trying to tackle it. So you do gatekeep growing the list, but you only focus on one at a time 
and that doesn't overwhelm your child. It doesn't overwhelm you. Um, and then interestingly, a lot of times accommodations in other areas start to get better and looser, kind of similar to kids who work on their compulsions. Other compulsions tend to just fall off the list as those muscles are being developed. And I find that same thing is true with accommodations. And so once you get that groove going, um, the whole octopus, the whole, the whole OCD octopus or anxiety octopus, we don't really call it an anxiety octopus, but all the tentacles that kind of drive that beast start to get weaker. And that's the goal. So that is the first step. Um, I've been doing that forever. And I think a lot of therapists have been doing that kind of stuff forever. But um, research came out by Ellie Leibowitz from Yale, uh, and he created a program that was I think kind of what we're all doing anyway, but it's just more formula-based, like systematic and methodical. And then there was research to back it up to say, yes, this actually really helps. And even if your child is not willing to do ERP or go into CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, you can just do this program and it will be effective enough. I don't think, I feel like it's good to have your child being doing their own thing ideally, but some kids aren't going to be ready or able to do that. And his program can help. And so he developed what he called the space program, which he created, a, um, he wrote a book called Breaking Free from Childhood Anxiety uh, and OCD. And his, his method is called the space program. And it's really literally what I just said, not rocket science at all, but it is nice that it is, it's methodical and there's research to back up its effectiveness. And so there's that. It's always good to have science in your corner. So if you like the idea of this and you're like, I want to do that, but I want to do it really systematically. Then check out Ellie Leibowitz's book, Breaking Free from Childhood Anxiety or OCD. I did in the AT parenting community with a lot of parents, they would say, you know, my child's not willing or able to do exposures or even work on their anxiety or OCD. And I know I am so hooked into their anxiety or OCD and it rules our entire home. And I don't even know where to start. So I would talk about the space program and then they'd be like, Ugh, I don't understand it, or I don't know where to start, or I read the book, but I don't, you know, they more visual person. And so for the AT parenting community, I actually created a study guide because a lot of the parents in there were very visual and all my um, courses are video courses. So I created a space, uh, a space study course, and it basically just goes through all of his steps, which are very simplistic. Um, but you know, methodically going through them. And I have a video on it explaining why it is. Sometimes I have a different take on it or I have like my own experience with it. And so I might have a different opinion and I created worksheets that kind of go through the space approach. And so you can do this on your own. There are also space trained therapists. So there's lots of support for you. So you could read his book, Breaking Free from Childhood Anxiety or OCD. If you're a book reader and you're like, just give me the book, I can download it in my brain and I'll be fine. If you like videos and you want my video course, you can go to natashadaniels.com slash space and check that out. I will walk you through it. I will give you worksheets that make it like more concrete and easier to do with your child. It is about going through your accommodation systematically. It's about presenting this to your child in a very formal way. It's about engaging supporters in your support system to help you support this. And it's about having supportive statements to your child that I believe that, you know, I know this is hard, but I believe you can do it, that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm simplifying it, 
but you can check out that course. And if you want more in-depth support, you can always get a space trained therapist. LA Leibowitz has created training programs that, and then therapists can get certified in space. And again, it's not, honestly, it's not anything that most really good OCD child therapists weren't doing before. They should have been, but it is nice to have it very formula oriented, you know, step one, step two. I mean, I think I do like the simplicity of it. And I think sometimes parents need that. So you could get a space trained therapist at spacetreatment.net. There is a provider directory of those like certified in space. And basically that therapist will walk you through doing the space with your child. And so, I mean, I've had parents in my community take my study guide and then you know, get a therapist that's just a space therapist and really get that full support to be able to implement this with their child. So some people don't need that. I don't think, I think sometimes people can do this kind of more casually. I mean, I certainly didn't need to really do a space oriented approach at my house because I've always had some communication. You don't have to have a hundred percent buy-in, but I was able to say to my kids, you know, I'm doing this behavior that's actually accommodating your anxiety or OCD and I don't want to grow it. And so let's come up with an alternative behavior. And then my kids may not love that always, but they're like, okay, fine. You know, and there's some growing pains, there's some meltdowns, but we move through it and it's done. And so some people might be in that boat where you're like, I don't really need to do like a whole modality, therapy modality to execute pulling back my accommodations. But some of you might be so overwhelmed and hijacked by OCD in particular that you do need that extra supports, you do need that extra study guide course, you need extra stuff to get this going. And there's plenty of support regardless of in which direction you need to get it from a book, a course, a therapist, all three, whatever to help support you. So I hope that you found this episode helpful. Don't forget if you're feeling like I need self-care now, (laughs) Uh, pulling back accommodations does require a lot of self-care because burnout is a real thing. And if you are pulling back accommodations and your child's having difficult behavior because they are having a hard time handling that, then you learning how to be an anchor and learning how to set your reset yourself is going to be really important. So don't forget to check out my free series, self-care for parents, raising kids with anxiety or OCD. It will be starting in a few weeks and you can register for free at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. Well, I hope that you find my podcast episodes helpful. Don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcasts. And if you have a few extra minutes, if you don't mind leaving a review, you know, I greatly appreciate that. So I will be back next Tuesday, but don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.